This morning, we're continuing our series on the grace of God, and next week, we will finish up uh, this series, and we've been looking at some of the different aspects of the grace of God and some of the different manifestations, because at least for me, I'm prone to think of God's grace primarily in terms of salvation, but there is so much more that affects daily life to the grace of God, and we've been trying to look at some different angles of that, and this morning... Uh, last week, we looked at the fact that we are eternal because of the grace of God. And this morning, because we're eternal, by the grace of God, we are waiting. We are awaiting people. I don't know about you, but I don't love waiting. Uh, waiting just seems to me like a waste of time. Uh, I recently changed doctors uh, because my primary care physician now, uh, if I have, in fact, I have an appointment tomorrow, uh, when it's time for my appointment, the nurse actually calls me back. Uh, the doctor that I was seeing, I kind of had to pack a lunch, a couple of books, uh, some bills to pay, and then I still had some extra free time. Uh, it's kind of an awkward thing just waiting. You're not sure what to do. Uh, sometimes you're not off. Uh, in my former doctor's office, I've seen people just flat out uh, hardcore sleep uh, there, and you, you hope they don't snap their neck as their head bobs back and forth. But the interesting thing about waiting is you know that you're waiting. You know that you're obviously not home. You know that you're not yet with the doctor. You're in this weird in-between period where you have nothing to do but wait because the reality is that's not your home. You're not going to redecorate. You're not going to move the furniture. You're not going to repaint the walls. It's not your home. It's just this temporary waiting spot. And you just awkwardly and try to patiently wait for your name to be called, along with several others who are doing the same. It's this very awkward time of waiting. As believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, because of the grace of God, we also find ourselves in this awkward position of waiting. That we are no longer, according to scripture, of this world. So we've kind of been removed spiritually from the world, but we're not truly home yet. And so we're just kind of in this in-between spot of waiting, of knowing that this isn't really our, our home, or this isn't really a place to get too comfortable with because we are waiting our heavenly home and we're waiting our Savior. This morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, where it talks a little bit about this waiting. We're Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 17, it says, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Now, there's a few things in here that we're going to be looking at next week, and so this morning I want to focus on two verses in particular. The first one is verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the first point we see here in verse 20 is that we are waiting for our eternal home. 
that ultimately we are waiting for our eternal home. Notice how verse 20 starts. Our citizenship is in heaven. Literally, our citizenship, it talks of community, a state of being. Uh, it's, it's, if you will, it's feeling out of place when you're traveling. You know that the reason you're out of place when you travel is because this isn't your place. This isn't your community. This, these aren't your people. This isn't your way of life. And cultures are extremely different. Moving from Cleveland to Pittsburgh, two hours. The difference in cultures is mind-boggling. This Pittsburgh left phenomenon that took me a while to get used to, where people are constantly just letting you take your left turn. That doesn't happen in Cleveland. Just a, a heads up, if you go to Cleveland, if you're expecting someone to let you make your left turn, you will crash because there is no such generosity when it comes to waiting to make a left-hand turn. A simple difference of two hours means that you now put french fries on hamburgers and salads. So much of culture changes in two hours, and if you go further than even two hours, if you go south and you go to a restaurant, even trying to order at a restaurant becomes a different cultured experience. Because it's not your home. You feel out of place you feel very much like an outsider. And the Apostle Paul is saying here to the Philippians that our citizenship, compared to verse 19, where it says that these are people of the world who have their minds set on earthly things, but he says our citizenship is in heaven. Where we truly belong is heaven. That is our real home. And so living in this world should be a bit of cultural angst because the culture has different values and a different way of looking at the world than we have. And so there's this tension of living with different values and with a different citizenship and a different community. Now, think about the reality of becoming a citizen. Now, obviously, it's far easier moving from Ohio to Pennsylvania in changing citizenship, um, although the transition with the driver's license was chaos. But other than that, it's a fairly smooth transition. If somebody, though, is coming from another country and trying to become a citizen of the United States, there's a whole process. You have to live in the United States for at least five years, speak and write basic English, have good moral character, fill out the necessary forms and submit the required documentation, pay the filing fee of $725, be fingerprinted, interviewed, and take a naturalization test. Just to go from living in France to living in Ohio and being a native or a citizen of the United States. By the grace of God, in one moment, we change our citizenship. We change our citizenship from people of the world to now people of the kingdom because of the grace of God. There's no process that we have to go through. We are instantly, through faith in Jesus Christ, transferred to become citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God, which is an upside-down kingdom. That's one of my favorite expressions for the kingdom of God that others have used, that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. When compared to the world, technically it's right side up, but for point of comparison. 
Jesus takes the, the values of the world, he even takes the religious values of Israel and turns them on their heads and says, this is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God isn't about hating those who hate you. The kingdom of God is about loving those who hate you. The kingdom of God isn't about hating those who persecute you. It's about loving those who persecute you. The kingdom of God is not about every man for himself. The kingdom of God has put others above yourself. This is our citizenship. And Paul says we're ex waiting, expecting a savior from that kingdom. We're waiting patiently for the king of our kingdom to come. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. And piggybacking off of last week, that if we are eternal beings, and ultimately we are going to live for eternity with Jesus, and this life is going to be just a, a distant memory, and if our citizenship now is in the kingdom of God, and we're waiting for our king to come to rule and to reign, and so we're out of place in this world, Nothing that we face in this life ultimately compares to the reality of eternity in the kingdom of God, worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords. But it's so easy to default to verse 19, to default to being somebody whose mind is set on earthly things, to focus on the, the things of this world, to focus on the doctor's office to obsess about the ugly painting on the wall. And I don't like that painting. They should take that painting down. Has anyone ever thought that? I, I never, sometimes. Do you actually take it down? No, it's not your house. You don't care. You're, you're only gonna be there a few minutes, hopefully, and then you won't have to look at the painting anymore. The point is you don't get comfortable. It's just a waiting room. This, around us is a waiting room. We're awaiting, finally moving in to where our citizenship truly lies, and that is in the kingdom of God with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So with that in mind, what do we do while we wait? Because we can passively wait. I mean, in the doctor's office, most people just passively wait. Because that 10-year-old magazine that you read five years ago in the waiting room, it's still there, and you've already read it 10 times. So you just sit and wait. The reality is, as followers of Jesus, we have that same temptation to passively wait out our time. To passively wait and say, one day Jesus is going to come back, or one day I'm going to leave this world and be with Jesus, and so I'm just going to sit back and wait for that time to come. I don't belong to this world. My citizenship is in heaven, so I'm going to clock out and just wait. But the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians that while we wait, we're not to be passive. Verse 17 he says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. So Paul's saying we do not wait passively while we wait for Jesus, while we wait for the realization of the kingdom of God. We do not wait passively because he tells them in verse 17, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. 
The word for imitate there means to mimic. Paul's saying, mimic me. Mimic others who are living out the example of Christ. Doesn't that sound extremely arrogant? Could you imagine coming before a congregation of people and saying to them, live like me? Ooh, that's tough. How could Paul say that? I mean, Paul should, Paul should say, live like Jesus. Forget me, just live like Jesus. But he also points out there's other folks, observe them in their way of life. Should the focus be Jesus? But in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul says, you know, Imitate Jesus, mimic Jesus. You know mimicking, if you've had a, a four-year-old or five-year-old around you, you know what it means to mimic. You know, don't touch that. Don't touch that. You know what the mimicking is. You're copying what somebody else is doing. So why is Paul saying to both the Philippians and the Corinthians, mimic me, imitate me? Because he says, I'm living my life to mimic and imitate Christ. And so if you mimic me and I'm mimicking Jesus, then you will be mimicking Jesus. But still, it seems arrogant. But he says in verse 17, he talks about this example. The word for example is the Greek word tupas, which means to leave an impression or a mark, to make a pattern. To, to make a pattern or to make a mold, you, you make it so that everything you make is exactly the same. If you make ice cubes, you have a mold, a pattern for the ice cubes. And you, you never see a variation in the ice cubes. They're always the, the kind of rectangularish blocks. They're the same every time because they're poured into this mold. And Paul's talking here about the example of, of making a mold. It's, or in other words, it's like, in a modern sense, a, a typewriter strike. You, the old-fashioned typewriters that uh, probably most of us remember, it would strike the paper and leave the mark of the letter that was on there. This is the same sense of tupas. So what you have on the page is the letter E. The letter E is there looking exactly like the typeset E because it made that mark. It made that tupas on it. So why is Paul calling them to mimic him? Years ago, there's a book written called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. A great book, I really encourage you to read it. it. Written back in the 1800s. It, basically, it's a community of people who decide that they're gonna live their lives in answer to the question, what would Jesus do? And so we probably remember the WWJD craze that went around, what would Jesus do? That actually goes back to the 1800s in this book that was written. And so it presents to us this question, no matter what we face in life, to ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were in my place? There's one primary problem with that question. And that problem is I can make Jesus do a whole lot of things that Jesus wouldn't actually do. Because I can convince myself, well, certainly this is what Jesus would do. I have no verification. I have no evidence to support that. But that's what I think Jesus would do. And I can make Jesus do whatever I want him to do. I think this is why Paul says, mimic me as I mimic Jesus. 
Now, why can Paul mimic Jesus? Because he saw Jesus. Paul was a up-and-coming Pharisee when Jesus was alive. He knows Jesus. He observed the life of Jesus. He can see the conduct and behavior of Jesus, and he can model his life accordingly. And now, for a new generation that wasn't alive when Jesus was around, he can say, I watched Jesus live. And that's how I seek to live my life. And so follow my example because I'm living out the example of Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's helpful for me to have people in my life. People that remind me of Jesus. Uh, when he spoke here uh, last year, I mentioned this, but Herb Bailey from Uncommon Grounds Cafe is one of those people that when you're around him, you just get the sense of, if Jesus were alive in Aliquippa today, look a lot like the way Herb lives his life. Now, Herb moved away to Texas, so I can't see that firsthand now, but he's one of several people in my life that when I look at their lives, I say, there's something about Jesus in the way they're living. They're reflecting something of the character of Christ. Because whenever I'm around them, I want to know Jesus better. Whenever I'm around them, I get a desire to draw closer to Jesus. There's something about them. And it's helpful for me to actually look at people's lives. Because I can imagine, you know, how would Jesus treat the marginalized? How would Jesus treat difficult people? I can make up all kinds of scenarios, but I could also watch the way Herb interacted with difficult people. Like, okay, now it makes sense. Now I get it. See, it's helpful for us. Sometimes we put them on pedestals, which is wrong, because more and more we're seeing people who were put on pedestals falling, and it puts people's faith in distress. We don't put the people on a pedestal, but we say there's something about Jesus in the way they live that I want to see in my life. Now, I've never met one person to embody everything I think Jesus would do if he were alive today, but I see snapshots. And it helps me to see those snapshots because it makes it more applicable. And so Paul's not trying to puff himself up or say, look at me, I'm so fabulous. He's saying, because I got to witness firsthand the life and teachings of Jesus, and this is how I pattern my life. Since you've never seen Jesus yourself, watch how I live. Paul never presents himself as perfect. He says, my ambition is to live like Jesus. Are there those people in your life that when you look at them, you say, there's just something about Jesus in them. There's something about that, that whenever I'm with them, whenever I talk to them, I just want to know Jesus better. Watch them. Paul encourages the Philippians to do that very thing. I think he would encourage us to do that thing. Join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. I love how Paul focuses on how they live. Because remember that the first century church, their theology was all over the place. This is why we have creeds coming up in the first couple centuries, because they're like, whoa, 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 this is getting crazy. We need to tighten this up. The first focus is how do we live? How do we live in this world? How do we treat the people around us? How do we live out the kingdom? 
And Paul essentially is saying, to the extent that I can be a helpful example of that, use that example. The bottom line, more than following an example, is Paul says, join in imitating me. Join basically in imitating Jesus. While we wait for the kingdom to be revealed, while we wait for our Savior, Paul says, in the meantime, live like Jesus. Reflect Jesus in your life. Part of that we find in the Great Commission. Right before Jesus ascends to heaven, we have the scene where the angels say he's going to come back just like you saw him go. Right before that happens, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. Part of living like Jesus is living the Great Commission. But while we wait for our king and his kingdom, we are called to spend our lives becoming more and more like Jesus, which is not something that we can accomplish. It's something only his grace can work in us. If I could make myself like, look like Jesus, then I wouldn't really need Jesus. I wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. I can't. It's the Holy Spirit who does that in me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, God shows you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. It's the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us, the Holy Spirit who makes us more like Jesus, who makes us holy. Are we allowing, while we wait for the revealing of the King and his kingdom, are we growing in holiness? Are we becoming more like Jesus? Because sometimes we define growing in holiness as being more stuffy and more rude. But are we becoming more like Jesus? Are people seeing Jesus more clearly in how we live our lives? This week I, I heard someone quote, I, I don't remember who it said, I should have written it down, but I, I forgot to. But the quote was basically, if you're not to some degree ashamed of who you were 12 months ago, then you're not really growing. Are you a little bit ashamed of who you were a year ago? A little bit embarrassed by things that were true of you a year ago that are no longer true. What about two years ago, five years ago? Are we different at all? When, since almost the entire time I've been here, I've been in this doctoral program, when I sat down with the director of the program, so that wasn't long enough for this church to impact me, but based on my previous church experiences, he asked me why I was doing this, why I wanted to go into this program. And I said, because there's got to be more. I said, we go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. We do all the right things on Sundays, but you can go into a church and observe most of the people over 20 years and see little, if any, change in their lives. He said, something's got to be missing. There's got to be something more than just going through motions and not changing at all. I mean, if we claim that as we gather on Sunday mornings, we meet in the presence of the living Christ, how can we not be different as a result? I mean, that's like saying, I'm going to go stand on 376 until one of those sheets trucks just slams into me. I'm going to be different after that happens. If I'm still alive, I will be different. If I'm not alive, I'll be very different. 
you don't have an impact of that magnitude and walk away the same. The living and resurrected Christ is here week after week after week. How can we not change? Part of it is we're passively waiting. We're just waiting out our time, trying to be a good Christian. Wait our time until we're in the kingdom with our king. Paul admonishes the Philippians, don't just wait passively. We're eagerly awaiting our Savior. We're eagerly awaiting his kingdom. So in the meantime, be a mimicker of Jesus. Let people see Jesus in your life. Be one of those people that other people say, there's something about them that whenever I'm around them, I want to know Jesus like they do. Because something of Jesus just radiates off of their life. And I could go through a list of people in my life that I would say, I want to know Jesus like they do. Because I see Jesus shining in them. And I want that. Are we growing? It's not our work that's going to make us grow. It's our surrender that's going to make us grow. It's the grace of God that will transform us. And so because of his grace, we're eternal beings. And because of his grace, we are awaiting his kingdom. And because of his grace, we have a king in Jesus. And because of his grace, one day we're going to be with him forever. But in the meantime, because of his grace, he wants to mold us so that we look more like Jesus in this life. And it requires another act of receiving his grace. Because if, if I white-knuckle the steering wheel of my life, it's not going to result in more Jesus-likeness. It means I surrender. See, Jesus, by your grace, would you transform me from the inside out? Let other people get a glimpse of you through my life.